Welcome to the Depth Chart Podcast. My name is Freddie Maggard. I'm joined by Nick Roush, as always, in Louisville. Uh, as we review a little bit of the Kentucky-South Carolina game and then discuss uh, the major happenings around the football program. Uh, Eddie Grand, Darren Henshaw, no longer on the coaching staff. Mark Stoops is in search of an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, quarterback's coach, combination of both, and an offensive line coach. So – Lot to talk about. We asked for your questions. Nick, you ready to roll, buddy? I am ready, Freddie. There you go. <laughs> uh, Sam asks, who's going to call the offensive plays now that Hinshaw and Grand have been let go? Because uh, well, they, they, they will be playing in a bowl game, Mark Stoops said. If they get an invitation, they will accept it. And it's uh, probably Liberty or Music City. I'm, I'm thinking more Liberty. Yeah. In the short term, he's going to move people up from this, this QC and GA staff. Uh, to to call the, the plays if if an offensive coordinator is not in place, and I don't think even it, even if an offensive coordinator is in place by the bowl game, that he will have right. much to do because it's too they don't have enough time to put in a new offense and etc. Right, uh, right. Saying, yeah. So I, I think it'll be uh, the folks that are on campus now, either in a QC or quality control or a GA position. Right. So like maybe a Maxwell Smith or. Um... Well, who is the guy that was Bo's coach at Catholic? Is it? Yeah, it's it's going to be one of those guys. What's his um, name? Um, it's not Parker. Parker's at West Virginia. Oh, yeah, gosh, this is going to drive me nuts. I got to look it up now. I've been so bad with names lately, Freddie. I'm getting old. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, man. <laughs> you got a long way to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it'll be somebody on staff now. Right, right. It would be kind of fun to see, you know, like w- what does a Vince Marrow offense look like? I mean, are we just right. throwing it up to Keaton Upshaw every time? You know, because <laughs> you know Vince, he, he likes for his guys to eat. Um, yeah. The, the guy I was thinking of, I didn't know the Brezza stayed on his GAs either. Mark Perry is who I was thinking of. Yeah, Mark Perry. Yeah, That's absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, it'll be somebody familiar with, with the system. I think Vince Merrill will have a solid say-so in it, and I think it could be uh, uh, calling plays by conglomerations. We'll see. Yes, we certainly will see. Um, next text – not text, not text of the show. Question is, if you could pick a superhero to be the new offensive coordinator – who would it be and why? I don't know superheroes. You go first. Let me think about this. So uh, there are multiple w- w- routes you could go, but I think the one that I'm going to go with is Dr. Strange because he is the guy who basically like can see the future and kind of control time or whatever so if he can see the future and he knows what the defense is going to do then he can scheme up the perfect play i don't know the last time i've seen a superhero movie you haven't watched any of the avengers never i've not seen one of them and i've never read a comic book uh i would have to go all the way back to christopher reeves reeves superman superman yeah that that'd be far that'd be my only choice but you know what I, i don't know anything about it he knows a little bit of thing about aerial attack and yeah. he has x-ray vision. So he could even read the other team's play sheet from the sideline. Absolutely. That, that's who I'm going with is, is Superman. 
Christopher man, Christopher Reeve Superman. It's a real yeah. Movie. I mean, I, I saw that movie in the drive-in in Isom, Kentucky. Isom, Kentucky. I've never even Isom. Mm-hmm. I S O M. Yeah. <sighs> That's a new one. So it so when it first came out, Nicholas. So it's been a few years ago. Just a few years. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this question from Brad because this is a question that uh, hasn't really been addressed because we're we're in the here and now, we're in the short term. And, and Brad asks, is a turnaround of the offense actually feasible in one year with the right coach, or will there be a major overhaul of the roster? Here's the deal. I mean, that's why, I, you know, everybody, not everybody, but there's some out there screaming for the air raid. And let me give you a perfect example of why that, that was not a good move because Colin Hill was the best running back in the SEC a year ago and then, then left the team at Mississippi State, totally underutilized. Mississippi State averaging 24 rush yards per game. Kentucky can't do that. That is not how – a Kentucky program can be, uh, you know, I, I think, I think in Lexington, you can recruit really good tight ends uh, and, and the state's produced a lot of good tight ends going back to Frank Jacobs at Newport Catholic to score a touchdown for Notre Dame mm-hmm. in the championship game. Jeff Ellis at, at, at Louisville, um, Michael Mayer. At, Dude, at he's, Catholic. he's, he's tearing it up now too. Yeah. I mean, Jacob Tammy, right I mean, Jacob Tammy, we could keep going on, but, Jordan Dingle, uh, next one in Jordan line. Dingle, yeah. I, I think Kentucky's going to – the best bet for the cast is going to be a balanced, pure pro NFL-style offense that that features tight ends, receivers, and, and still runs the football because if Kentucky comes out next year with, with four wide and just throws it all over the place with the personnel it has right now and not utilize Chris Rodriguez, uh, I think you're asking for trouble. And I think, I think there's also an answer that's kind of in the middle of this in that a a complete turnaround in one year, you're wanting to go into more of a passing style, but you still have a lot of young pieces at wide receiver. Now you may get a guy back like Josh Ali, but I don't think you're going to all of a sudden see Kentucky throwing it 40 times a game. I think you'll see more of the vision this offensive coordinator has in year two, but you're still going to, uh, you know, get your bread where it's buttered and go run Chris Rodriguez a lot next year. So I I do think there's some, it'll, there will be a transition period. And I don't think in year one, we'll be able to appropriately or accurately foresee what that, um, what that offensive coordinator's vision is right away, just because, you know they they've started to recruit that way, but it'll it'll take some time um, to you know for everyone to get acclimated. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think you know I mean why would you why would you uh, go away from your two arguably your two best offensive players next year, Keaton Upshaw and uh, and uh, Chris Rodriguez? I think Kentucky's wide offensively the wide receivers and tight ends are the best group on the, for the team best position grouping. So. Uh, you play to your strengths, um, right? Right. And 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 there's going to be some waiver waiver wire action. Expect yeah, that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Why to that? Yeah, especially and, at receiver. So. And Freddie, it's one of those things that we kind of knew the change was coming, and it happened as soon as the season ended. But we don't know what that change exactly is going to be. Probably till January, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got to kind of. Uh, 
we don't get the instant gratification in this case, but it's going to, there's going to be a lot of off season movement. It's great for us because it gives us something to talk about throughout the, yeah. the, the kind of solar times for football. Yeah. But, but expect some waiver wire action, uh, especially at receiver, because that, that is the immediate need that Kentucky has right now. And if you're going to throw the football, um, you're going to need some people to catch the football. So um, yeah, expect that. Uh, another question here on the twitter.com machine. Um, are, are there any players you think are, are likely to return or, or more likely to leave? That comes from Patrick. Uh, uh, to return, I mean, I think Josh Pascal, a redshirt junior, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he, teams are only allowed to have five players evaluated by the NFL Draft Advisory Committee. So you can look at that right now uh, if we're talking underclassmen. Chris Rodriguez, Keaton Upshaw, Josh Pascal, possibly Yusuf Corker, and, and Darian Kennard. Uh, those are five off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the the, the, the seniors, quote-unquote seniors, right? Uh, there could be an offensive lineman or two come back, or lineman or so. I, w- I don't know. Uh, Phil Hoskins is something, you know, I, I don't know if he'll come back or not, but he, he can consider it. Quinn Bohanna's gone, I think. Uh, yeah, there was word out that he was he w- hadn't made a final decision yet, but I think for both him and Phil, it just yeah. you know, in Phil's case, just from being a seventh year or whatever college, yeah, guy, uh, yeah, absolutely. And in Q's case, like even though he hasn't had that production, there's not people his size, strength, and explosiveness. So you right. know he'll be he'll be a mid round draft pick, I would think, regardless. Yeah, if he comes I mean, back here or not. Three, four defense nose tackles don't have statistics you can't look at, <laughs> at quentin bohannon and expect right, a right. high number of sacks tackles court tackles for loss etc their their job in life is to eat up blockers whereas you know you, you occupy the center and a the guard therefore the center and guard can't get to that second level thus you see jamin davis top five tackler in the, in the southeastern conference that is the job of a three four nose tackle uh but you know we'll see i mean it's really hard to project this team for 2021 because of the transfers because Mm -hmm. of uh the extended eligibility and those factors it's really hard to project what kentucky's going to look like in 2021 oh speaking of projecting for 2021 bullies belly asks what is our strongest position group next year what is the weakest are boneless chicken wings actually wings or are they just saucy chicken nuggets thanks for taking questions guys go cats Mm -hmm. Boneless wings are actually saucy chicken nuggets. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a fact. Yeah. It doesn't even come as, from the wing. Like the wing is much smaller. And right. And as far as meat mass consumption, uh, but I, you know what? I'm okay with calling them that um, because they're, they're fine. They're, they're, they're tasty. You dip them in sauces. I, I enjoy them very much. The strongest position groups in, on offense, running back, tight end, mm-hmm. defense. Wow. <sighs> I would defense. I would have to go inside linebackers with uh, Square and Davis both projected to return. I would think that would be the best uh, group on defense. I might argue secondary because of use of Corker coming back, um, but you got uncertainty at corner, so it yeah. probably is inside linebacker. Although, Freddie, I was noticing this the other day when I was going through some of the numbers. DeAndre Square did he, was this his quietest year? It was, you know, he, he was dealing with a shoulder. Uh, his tackle numbers were, were a little bit down, but he still finished third on the team. 
so, uh, you know, he, he's uh, uh, 57 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, four quarterback hurries and a forced fumble, uh, for, and a fumble recovery. Um, I think yeah, he'll was, be back yeah, for a better year next year. Bad. It was just like I just didn't feel like I saw him that much or, you know, like, yeah. oh, he made a big play. I don't know. It was just, um, hey, you know, maybe maybe that comes with – pulling extra duty you know like you said he was dealing with the shoulders so that could yeah. be part of it so i think uh, so i think and with it, him and davis i think that, some of it solid. is is also when jamin davis plays that good you're you pay a lot of attention to him you know yeah him. yeah but defense I, I would definitely say it's uh it's going to be the inside linebackers now something that not a lot of people are talking about kentucky will most likely have to have to replace both their uh, uh kicker and punter you know, I, I don't know yeah. what Ruffalo's uh, situation is. Ruffalo didn't do senior day. He was technically a junior. So, I think okay, well, he, I think he's going to stay around. But uh, Duffy, though, uh, you know, his time, he's ready to move on. Duffy's yeah. like my age, Freddie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's uh yeah that that that's a position that, that Kentucky's gonna so bring in miss a, out another awesome. another yeah that's good that's good so hopefully uh we'll have the same results which I need to investigate because his name's Wilson Barry I'm curious if he's kin to the Barry that played for the EKU and this Steelers punter no idea that'd be a good one to research yeah we're gonna have to dig into that uh, another person asked. Uh, this is from John. If there was a breakdance contest between Freddie, Mark Stoops, Vince Merrill, and Brad White, who wins? Also, Me. what song would Freddie, a.k.a. Dr. Cool, select to break down to? Dang. Jam on it, and I would win that contest. I'm more nimble than Vince Merrill. I have more rhythm than Mark Stoops and Ooh. Brad White. <laughs> <laughs> oh man the thing is, is like that that's a very true statement <laughs> yeah absolutely let's go throw down some cardboard hey the uh, uh 2024 olympics is going to feature break dancing I'm, I'm in training i started the other day at four o'clock in the morning good so, I, I hope you've been putting on your cbd and stretching because uh, yeah man i'm i'm ready man i'm i'm, I'm gonna represent the usa uh sean king asked uh not Sean King, the former Tulane quarterback and Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback said, Freddie, we know your feelings for grand. Um, but did you personally feel that it was time for a change? Yes, I did. I did. It had, it had to change Nick. I mean, I hate to say that, uh, because I do have feelings for Eddie grand, but you know, when, when you finish last in the sec and passing three years in a row, mm-hmm. last in the sec and long passing plays three years in a row, uh, you know, and, and, and average 10th in the conference over his five-year span in scoring offense, average of 26 points a game. You know, it was probably time. Uh, Eddie Graham will bounce back. So will Darren Henshaw, both tremendous human beings, both tremendous football coaches. But sometimes it just – the course wears out, and, and mm-hmm. maybe it did. And, and Five years is a good a run. Change. Yeah, it's a great run, especially, you know, with Eddie and Darren. You have to replace, you know, Drew Barker's throwing it all over the place, gets hurt. Here comes Steven Johnson. You revamp your offense, bowl game. Uh, Terry Wilson gets hurt. In comes uh, Lynn Bowden, bowl game results. So I think they did some great, fantastic things over the years. But uh, the SEC's changing. It, there's 100% proof of that with the offenses. And Kentucky's got to keep up. 
you know, uh, especially for recruiting, for selling tickets, uh, for excitement around the program. I, I, you know, I don't think you could go – Kentucky – Mark Stoops could not have gone into 2021 uh, averaging, what, 124 pass yards a game. Uh, that just he couldn't do it, you know. Right, and fourteenth right. in total offense, Kentucky only averaged three hundred and and twelve yards per game. Nick, uh, that that's you know you can't have that. No, uh, that's no. just that's just something that you can't have. And in, in two thousand twenty, two thousand twenty one, you got to be able to score points. You got to be able to throw the football. You got to be able to run the football. Now, Kentucky again, I I would warn people to to to. to Really look at who who uh, is going to be offensive coordinator. It may not be uh, an air raid type person, and I know that was the glory days with Couch and East and those guys. But you also have to realize that that was a revolutionary offense that nobody's seen it. Now everybody has seen it and knows how to defend it. Thus, you have Mississippi State averaging less than 400 total yards and 24 rush yards per game, and it's not working out there in Starkville. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh... I, I found it I, – I did think it spoke to Grand that he's been in his coaching – I mean, hell, he's been coaching 20-some-odd years, 25 years or more. No, more than that. Um, but, yeah, so he's been coaching 30 years. And aside from the time that Auburn just cut bait with it, Tommy Tuberville's entire staff, this is the first time he's been let go of a job. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that's remarkable. Yeah, and he, he can coach the, some running backs up too. Um, yeah. I, I do just, you know, I, I, I worry if he hitched himself to the wrong wagon um, in the passing game, but, you know, ifs and buts, candy and nuts, you know, yeah. you, you know what they say about those ifs and buts. But nevertheless, uh, a, a successful tenure. Now it's time to move on. And one person was asking – Sean also asked about something really uh, specific. And – he asked, how would you characterize John Sharman's blocking scheme? Because he, he's just read that uh, Jagosinski taught a zone blocking concept. And do you could, could you see a fundamental change in the offensive line coming? I, I would just start by saying I don't think Jags is necessarily the guy who's going to step into that role. But I, I, I really – how would you characterize Sharman's blocking scheme with those guys? Yeah, inside, outside zone. I mean, you know, mixed in with power. So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's it's adaptable to anybody's scheme. All most offensive coordinators uh, really rely on that inside-outside zone play. I mean, that's just the way that's, – that's how football is, is managed in the run game. And, and, and I think that would be a full alignment with line coach and offensive coordinator. Yeah, and I, I would also say, too, that, like – on offensive line, I don't think there's, you know, a dramatic difference from one like like most places run similar stuff. Same stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another person asked, let's get one more question in here. One more question in here. Oh, John was curious. Uh he said I know wide receiver was a big issue. Um, but I also rooted for Terry every game. Um, but considering how well he looked before wrist and shoulder injuries last year, why didn't Sawyer get a chance to play quarterback this year? Yeah, I don't know. Armstrong not there anymore after the injury, or was he just skipped over for Gatewood? And I just kind of question. I kind of got thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just kind of got the notion that it was like Sawyer was brought in to 
you know, in he was a break glass in case of emergency. They broke the glass, but then they also brought in a couple more studs that, you know, they, they, Gatewood and Allen have brighter futures than Sawyer did in his, you know, 10 games or whatever he had left in his career. Yeah, but I, I thought Sawyer played really well last year before he got injured. So I, I don't know that, uh, you know, it's, tar it's hard to come back from throwing arm injuries for a quarterback. So I, I didn't see anything as far as him practicing or throwing or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I thought he did a great job. And, and, and I thought we would see Sawyer more this year, but, but we didn't. What do you know about throwing in, uh, quarterback injuries to a throwing arm? <laughs> well, a, <laughs> uh, a really bad shoulder injury ended my career. So yeah, I, I kind of understand that. Was it labrum or is it rotator cuff? It was both. Oh God. Ah. Yeah. Did you have that cast that like where it doesn't touch your like it like holds your arm out? You know, nah, that, those weren't invented yet. So I I just, <laughs> I just had a sling. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if I had a nickel for every time you said those weren't invented yet. <laughs> but Nick, I'm looking over the Kentucky numbers here for the season. Um, you know, off this is just talk offense because that's the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Right now, average 21 points a game, and, and that last game against South Carolina really helped because it was down at 19-something. Uh, but the numbers that I look at that, that are telling, 124 pass yards, only 5.6 yards per passing attempt. Compare that to rushing attempt, Kentucky was 4.8 yards. So uh, when you throw that less – when you average that less on a pass than a run, then, then there's problems. And mm – -hmm. uh, that led to uh, problems for Kentucky. And another number that I'm looking at that has to be addressed is Kentucky only scored touchdowns 55% in the red zone, 16 out of 29. Uh, conversely, the opponents, 65%, 26 out of 40. So I'm looking at low attempts in the red zone and then also the lower touchdowns in the red zone. Several times drives stalled inside the 20 that led to field goal attempts and even push back out of the red zone. And I think that that stat is, was damning for the Cats and for Eddie Grant, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, yeah, uh, especially in the red zone. And yeah, it also was striking to just how few carries Chris Rodriguez got when it was pretty obvious early on that he was the guy. I know like, you definitely want A.J. Rose in there and Abel, but the fact that they were pretty evenly dispersed, it just it never really made sense to me, uh, especially yeah. <laughs> in those opportune moments where it was like, this this is this is your time. <laughs> you yeah. know, this, this is Rodriguez time. A couple of things that really stick out at me that Kentucky did not do, uh, didn't, didn't throw those tight ends enough. I mean, we all can agree on that, especially Always. with Upshaw, and, and we saw what Justin Reed could do. Uh, you know, I think that duo, and, and then that in Brendan Bates, but he, he was injured. I think they could have done some damage in the passing game and really helped the quarterbacks out. And like you touched on earlier, Chris Rodriguez only averaged 12 carries per game. Uh, that that is uh, that's crazy. 87, <laughs> 88 yards a game. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry and only had 12 carries per game. That I thought the quarterbacks had way way too many carries this season. Uh, uh, just too many carries and, and not enough carries for, for Rodriguez. So, uh, you know, uh, Terry Wilson had 98 rushing attempts compared to 102 for Chris Rodriguez. That ratio 
uh, is not good. That is not yeah. what you want, especially with some, with a running back that's averaging close to seven yards a, a carry. In Freddie, I think it goes back to how the Lynn Bowden experiment may have uh, hurt Kentucky in the long term, not only in wide receiver development, but also in the belief in the quarterback run game because yeah. there are so many different options and everything. Well, those options work well when you've got a decisive guy who can break some tackles and get going north-south. And right. Terry Wilson's explosive, but he's not breaking too many tackles. No, no. Terry's the best when he runs in the uh, – when he scrambles. Uh, I'm not for sure that he was – No, well, I just don't believe that he was a true running quarterback. Uh, he didn't look comfortable. And, and Kentucky kept calling those quarterback runs just – you know, that's something that, uh, you know, his number of carries should have been lesser and Rodriguez more. So if you think about it, Chris Rodriguez had four more carries in 2020 than Terry Wilson. Four. That's crazy. That's crazy talk, Freddie. Yeah, that, that's that's just not uh, not exactly the recipe that you're looking for. And um, we're all about the yeah. recipe for success here. We are. We are. And then another number – Kentucky at one point, even up to the Tennessee game, was averaging 50% on third down conversions, and that dropped all the way down to 37.8%. And I think that's why you see a lower number of red zone opportunities uh, because Kentucky just didn't move the ball down to the red zone much. Drive stalled. Kentucky was, was not a team that they, could play behind the chains. and They stalled and in just no man's lane, too. Like yeah. They would get a couple first downs, and then you're stuck in that well, do we go forward on fourth and seven? Or yeah, you know, like most of the time you would just punt because you've got a pretty good defense, right? But if those fourth downs are more manageable, if they're three yards, you know, instead of six or seven, and you're on the forty, then you go for it. Yeah, uh, but I felt like those opportunities didn't really present themselves that often. Yeah, defensively, I mean, Kentucky's played winning football defensively for two consecutive seasons under Brad White. Uh, I think I think the dude is an absolute star, uh, giving up 26 points a game this season. Uh, 220, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 220 yards through the air for the second consecutive season. Kentucky has led the SEC in pass defense, uh, which really just you know those that were talking, they're messaging us and and you know tweeting and all that. Well, Kentucky was only good last year because they played in monsoons. Well, they followed that up by a number, another first-place uh, uh, standing and pass defense in the Southeastern Conference. And then yeah. the argument, well, people, teams ran at will against Kentucky. Well, no, they didn't. 166 yards per game. Kentucky only gave up 387 yards uh, in 10 games in a, in a year where offenses were great. Kentucky played four of the top total offensive teams and four of the top passing teams in the SEC and still finish first in the conference. I think that is a tremendous accomplishment. I finished in the top three with 50 tackles for loss. Had a lower number of, of quarterback sacks with 11, but had 26 quarterback hurries. So they aggravated the quarterback, just didn't get him on the ground. And then uh, tied for the lead with 13 interceptions. So uh, overall, I thought the defense in 2020 played good enough to, to allow Kentucky opportunities to win the football game. Obviously, that that was not the case at Alabama. Hindsight, Kentucky probably shouldn't have gone to Alabama with, with <laughs> all the with all the COVID and injuries and all that. Uh, but they still went. They still played. They got beat 
badly, but they at least they tried. Uh, that's more than some teams are doing these days. So I give Kentucky credit for that. But, you know, two years in a row, number one pass defense, leading the uh, SEC with 13 interceptions, uh, 166 yards on the ground. I thought I thought the Kentucky defense had a good year, Nick. No, they certainly did, and especially against offenses that scored at will against some teams. I mean, hell, Missouri hung 650 <clears throat> yards on their former coach, and Arkansas yeah. had one of the best defenses in the conference all season. So, um, you know, Kentucky's defense all in all played well enough to win football games but offensively you just got to score more yeah you just got to score more like that's that's the way the game is now you gotta score more points so what did you think about my all offensive opponent team nick roush i liked it you didn't like the coordinator though i'm, I'm sure no i don't like him but the arkansas game made me say okay i guess he's a decent coach i thought drink was called a perfect game against kentucky well, Drinkwitz thing, being the Missouri offensive coordinator slash head coach. Yeah. Uh, the thing thing about perfect. him, Freddie, is that, like, he's not a one-trick pony, which I appreciate no. about him. Like, like his game plan against Arkansas was nothing like his game plan against Kentucky. Yeah. So, give him credit, but like all App State head coaches, he'll probably only win three games next year and then try to <laughs> go back to South Carolina and jockey for a raise and then have all of his fans turn their backs on him. So that's what, what, what coaches do in their second years, or at least one of them does. What I liked about Drinkwood's offense, the, uh, Missouri against Kentucky, is how disciplined the receiving core was. How many times have we seen Kentucky's receivers come up short on third down on a route and catch it, catch the football oh, and it'd be fourth and two, fourth and one. Right. Missouri's pass catchers went to the chains, went to the first down mark, turn around, first completion, first down Missouri. Now, Larry Roundtree was on my all-opponent team, and a lot of people didn't like that. They thought uh, the Georgia running back or, or, you know, the Tennessee running back. Listen, Missouri's not winning that football game without Roundtree, and his physicality, in my opinion, set the tone for that game, and that's why Missouri won, and that's why he was on my team. And it's also like that team was made up of guys who did well against UK. That's why Jonathan Mingo's yeah. on there, not Elijah Moore. Because Mingo, exactly, Mingo put a hurt on UK. They, they did, a, did a decent job against Elijah Moore, but Mingo just kicked the crap out of the cats. That, that was when Boss Man Fat got demoted. Uh, yeah, because he 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 got abused for the second week in a row. Now he ended up turning that around shortly thereafter. But Mingo Mingo did do well in that game. So yeah, that's he all did. And as far as the team in 2020, for everything that they had to go through, from Chris Oates to John Schlarman, uh, going four and six while disappointing to some, um, I'm very happy with this football team. I'm happy with, with what's going on for the future. Uh, if, if what I hear is correct, I'm very excited about the offensive direction that this team is going to take. And then anytime you have Brad White, you know, that's a situation I hope nobody comes and offers him and, and backs the Brinks truck up to the Joe Craft Football Training Center and takes him away because uh, anytime that he is coordinating a defense with the influence and, and assistance of, of Mark Stoops, I, I think uh, I think Kentucky's going to have a chance to win football games. I really like the defensive uh, style, philosophy, what's going on, personnel on that side of the ball. And I'm excited about what's getting ready to happen offensively. Amen, brother. Amen. You, I th- you know what? That seems like a good stopping point, Freddie. 
It really does, Nick Roush. Man. Uh, we will have more uh, depth chart podcasts, especially next week after signing day. Uh, so tune back in, follow us, subscribe us, like us, tell your friends about us. And uh, hopefully you'll tune back in next week, Nick, after we uh, after we, re- we review National Signing Day hey, on Wednesday. It's good. December the 16th. Man, that's going to be here in no time. But uh, we'll be talking to you all Wednesday with all the Signing Day breakdowns, everything you could possibly ever want, ever need, all over KSR. So stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. Make sure that you're uh, going to the website next week for signing day information. Uh, Nick Rouse, Bucket, and myself will be providing information that I think you'll like, and, and we're really going to put an emphasis on signing day and recruiting next week, and, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Sounds good. We'll see you all then.